welcome to the Ornstein and Chapman podcast on The Athletic as ever. We'll bring you exclusive and original stories and interviews, agenda-setting insight from inside the game from David and our writers from across The Athletic. So coming up today, we'll bring you detail on an England international that could be swapping White Hart Lane for Manchester. David will remove one club at least from the list of possible destinations for Jadon Sancho. And we'll bring you news on the clubs that like the look of Todd Cantwell at Norwich. Unfortunately, we might also discuss the Premier League's plans for the future of VAR. Uh, Now, David, uh, I I did tweet earlier um, that I was worried about you over Christmas. You were in the red zone. You were in danger of pulling your hamstring. So have you had a proper break and turned your phones off? I I have had a break, but my hamstrings haven't had much of a rest because I took the kids to centre parks and I was actually more active than at any time I've been in recent history. Um, So if anything, I'm closer to the red zone now than I was uh, prior to Christmas. But coming so the hamstrings are the hamstrings are even more taut after after a festive break at centre parks than they were beforehand. Yes, but wow. unlike Harry Kane, I'm probably not going to be out for three months. So rest assured, <laughs> I'll be around for our pods, Mark. Is this the busiest month for you because it is the transfer window? Well, the twice yearly busiest period, I guess, with the summer transfer window as well. It is fair to say the summer one is is busier than this in terms of more meaningful things happening. Um, on the trail for our transfer daily podcast, you sort of reprimanded me for underselling it by saying this could be the window largely about what doesn't happen as opposed to what does, because there are a lot of clubs looking for emergency deals and um, solutions trying to push on for, say, a European place or to reach the... Premier League or to avoid relegation, etc. A lot of loans happen. There's not a great deal of money around for permanent signings. And certainly at the big clubs, the players they might want to bring in are just way out of their, um, uh, beyond their budgets. And so it's incredibly busy, but nothing we say is guaranteed to happen uh, unless we say it is uh, because there are so many things that can change between now and the end of the month it's certainly exciting though isn't it It, well it is also I didn't reprimand you we're not school teacher and pupil we're equals (laughs) on this podcast it was just a rubbish trail for what is going to be an intense month Dominic Fifield the athletic senior writer who has an eye on London uh, is with us today as well and it is an intense month because it's driven in the main Dom by desperation as you wrote last week yeah, absolutely. I mean, clubs that are struggling against relegation, clubs that think one extra player completes a jigsaw to get a promotion. Um, they're, the, they're the teams that are in the market generally in January. The piece I did last week was was really looking at the, the list of a list of players that have been sent round to recruitment departments at, at Premier League clubs. Um, whether they were compiled by by agents, by rival clubs, or agents that may have mandates to move certain players. And you get a certain type of, of of player available at this time of year. You know, they might be entering the last six months of their contracts. The price is dropping. Clubs see this as an opportunity to move them on and gain a fee for them. Or you might get players who are on the fringes and want, desperately want to, to feature at Euro 2020 and they need to be playing regular first-team football in the last six months of the campaign. Oh, so, OK, so both of you, just give, it, give us an idea then of how this works from your point of view and how you... Uh, are made aware of these players that are moving around. Because there will be lots of fans and lots of clubs who will think, 
oh my God, Bruno Fernandes is being linked with us again, or half of <laughs> mm. Benfica are coming over, or Moussa Dembele is being linked with every club in the Premier League to take him from Lyon. So you <laughs> see lists, do you, Dom, that, that are put together, what, by agencies, by football recruitment departments? How does it work? I spoke to two people at, who are within football recruitment departments at Premier League clubs, and they made me aware of the type of people, type of players that they're being made aware of who who might be available this month and and they're getting their information on on those through agents i mean agents are coming to them and saying like i've got the mandate for x y z um would your club be interested now that's not to say that you know clubs will be circulating their own lists i imagine between themselves and and it's, you know it's not there's you just hear things on the on the grapevine almost and you know who might be available david finding- same for you yeah, I'm finding that, um, and Dom, it'd be interesting to hear your take on this, given that you spoke to uh, a number of people working in, in recruitment. One of whom I spoke to said, your alarm bells are ringing in January because you've got to question why that player is available, if he's available to you. Okay, it could be that he wants game time. Why does he want game time? Why do a club want him to leave potentially it seems like the window of jeopardy really as opposed to the summer window where there's more time for considered recruitment it seems pretty much every club you speak to in terms of these lists these lists are made for summer recruitment and in the case of Manchester United for example if a player from that summer list is available now and the deal is right now then they might bring that forward and escalate it uh, for january but ultimately those lists revolve around summer and um, there are eyebrows often raised when the player is available now why that might be and whether you should go for him or not i I completely agree i mean the better organized and better run clubs do their business in the summer because those are the the players they target They're, they're they're almost setting up those deals to go through as soon as the summer window opens and you know that they're the ones that they want to sort of nip the competition in the bud so to speak the guys that i that i looked at uh, you could take an example like Musa Silla, who's a, a, a young kid at monaco who's he's not got any game time this season uh, he's completely fall his, his his appearances have fallen off a cliff he's into the last six months of his contract he was a player of huge potential go back 18 months and and you know clubs across europe were interested in him now he needs a fresh start and the reality is that he will be available on on the market there are others um, that that's want to be Ricardo Rodriguez, a, a, you know, a player that we all know, a, a left back of proper quality. He's played at Wolfsburg, he's playing at Milan, but he's not playing enough at Milan. He wants to get into the Switzerland squad for the Euro 2020. So he is effectively available and potentially available at a knockdown price. Although then at the same time, I suppose you go, well, why on earth are you playing for exactly, Milan? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Why on earth you get in the Milan team? If you enter the market in January, you are taking a risk, generally speaking. I mean... The loan system might work in your favour because you might be able to take a player of proper pedigree from a, a rival Premier League club, for example, if you've got a loan slot available. You look back to this time last year where Crystal Palace brought in Michy Batshuayi right at the end of the window because he was available the last couple of days of that window. He wasn't available a week before the end of the January window this last time and he made a massive impact for Palace, scored five goals over what remained of the season and kept them comfortably in mid-table. But fitness is also an issue at this stage. If they've been playing so little at their parent clubs and then go out on loan or make a permanent move, what condition will they be in to come in in the deep of winter, hit the ground running at the top level at the Premier League, especially if they've been playing in a slower league or a slower, you know, 
level of football in a different country. And then if you get them up to speed by March, April, is that wasting half of your loan? Of course it is, or, or permanent transfer. So I, I think it's it's a really undesirable time for pretty much every club to do business. But at the same time, it's that tantalizing prospect of being able to do something that could propel you towards your aims. In your column, David, about Manchester City and their transfer business, um, unlikely to do anything really in this window. Just just focus. There's one name there which is really interesting. Before we come on to the midfielder you've linked them with, just deal with the central defensive situation first. Yeah, so Manchester City have been adamant throughout the last couple of months, really, and especially Pep Guardiola, that they don't see themselves doing any business during the January transfer window. And we're not saying that they definitely will. However, they do still have a need at left central defence. They didn't replace Vincent Company. They then suffered the cruel injury to Aymeric Laporte. They were a man down via the loss of Company and then two down with, with Laporte. There's uncertainty over the future of Nicolas Otamendi, who will probably leave in the summer. John Stones hasn't been in the best form or fitness, uh, so they've called upon some youngsters. They've called upon Fernandinho at 34 and Rodri even to fill the gap at central defence. And so it's pretty well known that that is the sort of priority position at the moment. I think if they were to make a signing during the January transfer window, it will be at left centre half. And it's my understanding that they've got a list of at least five options for that position. I don't think that's any great surprise. Most clubs will have a list of uh, a number of players. Uh, And on that list, um, I've established, is the Inter Milan and Slovakia defender Milan Skriniar. Uh, He is quickly becoming uh, one of the most sought-after central defenders in the game. He can play as part of a back three or two, often as a three at Inter. He's the right age, the right sort of ball playing and and sort of physical and technical profile that City are looking for. And a similar profile comes in the form of Mikola Matvienko, who plays for Shakhtar Donetsk in Ukraine. Uh, He will be well known to City because they played against Shakhtar twice in the Champions League group stage and uh, he started both games. That's just two of their options. Others, I mean, we mentioned before that they had looked at Nathan Aki of Bournemouth, but I don't think they've taken that any further than watching him at this stage. And others have reported that they've got an interest in Leicester's Kalyar Sionchu. So I think that would be the area that City, if the right opportunity arose at the right price, and that's a key issue here because Skriniar, for example, only signed a new contract at Inter Milan last year 2019 and he would be um he would be a huge outlay for them he would smash their transfer record by the sounds of it feel free to say you have no idea about this dom because uh, this is just a name that's that i've thought about a couple of times recently if city do want to left side of center half so if you don't know just say it because we try not to speculate it's all about the sources that you guys have would would vertonghen go to city i wouldn't have thought he would he would fit the the sort of profile at his age for him to get. I mean, it'd be very much a short term. Well, it seems gap. to me that if they wanted a short term and a left sided defender and left back has been a problem for them as well, that if they needed someone to step in every now and then, given his experience, 
Well, and that he'd be available, he'd be available, wouldn't he? He's he would on... be, he would be an eye-catching arrival and a, and a controversial loss for, for Spurs to give to City halfway through the season. I mean, they'd have to, they'd be asking a big fee for a player that's got six months left on his contract, I'd imagine. But I would be surprised if that happened. To be fair. Okay, speaking of Spurs players going to Manchester City, who have you linked in your column, David? Well, there's an interesting situation developing with uh, Harry Winks at Tottenham because he doesn't appear to be in favour under Jose Mourinho. His game time has been limited. He's, what, 23 now. Uh, He has been featuring prominently for England in recent internationals. And he's a player that's been discussed by Manchester United. As I said, United always plan for the summer. There's a good chance that Manchester United won't sign any players during this transfer window. But Winks is a player that they have discussed. He is on their list for this window, if it was possible. And also Manchester City. It's my understanding that for quite a while now, they've seen him as a potential option. Again, probably of many options for a midfield role come the summer, as opposed to this window, when we know and we've talked about Previously on this podcast, Manchester City will undergo quite a drastic recruitment program or restructure, call it what you like. And so that's one to watch. I don't think anything more at this stage. And I really can't see uh, Daniel Levy parting with him easily in this transfer window and certainly uh, not for a a low fee. Um, But it's just one that I have established over the last few days. And it is certainly one to watch just back on Manchester city's left back or left Mm. central defensive options. Actually, it's interesting that the Aki situation, which hasn't moved on at the time of recording, we know Chelsea have got this 40 million pound buyback option um, that they need to trigger this month if they're going to at all, because by next summer it will have expired. But The suggestion I was getting a few weeks ago when things were going a bit better for Bournemouth um, was that if he was to go to another club, it didn't matter if they offered 50, 60 million pounds, they could well say no, Bournemouth. I think it would have been a you know, 55, 60 to, to st- start to tempt them. I've since established, or I think, that a figure in the region of £40 million, whether it be for Chelsea via that clause or another club, would be really tempting for Bournemouth. And um, I don't know the exact financial situation that they're in at the moment. There are suggestions within the game that, strong suggestions, it's been made very clear to me within the game that their owner, Maxim Denim, wants to sell there's talk of a prospectus to do with Bournemouth doing the rounds. Mm. Um, and so if money is an issue, then someone like Aki being there, probably their hottest property, you could say David Brooks as well, but he's got a long-term injury, uh, will be a really interesting one. And you mentioned Vertonghen. Well, Aki can play at centre-back and left-back as well. So certainly one to watch. And we know that City previously have admired Johnny Evans as well although that doesn't seem to be one that's reared its head again this window yet. Uh, going back to Harry Winks then Dom what what do you understand of his relationship with Jose Mourinho is it too early to be forming the opinion that he isn't a Mourinho player? Probably um instinctively that's what you feel um, doesn't base the physicality of a, a Mourinho style midfielder however if you actually go back to the the, the last of his Premier League titles at, at Chelsea he had Cesc Fabregas playing alongside Nemanja Matic in a two-man midfield and you can sort of see Winks doing a similar passing job um, from that role uh, if he ever wanted to, to reintegrate that at the moment to be honest with you Spurs are so frail defensively 
um, and so vulnerable that you, you can't see them only going with the two men. They need a they need a proper defensive shield in midfield, and maybe that's why Winks has, has after a bright start, has faded somewhat uh, under Mourinho. I, I personally think it would send out completely the wrong message from Spurs if they ever let Winks go to a to a direct rival because he he is a player that of such good quality and potential still that you've got the England manager you know building his his midfield around him he he values him that highly he's he's desperately wanted a, a, a player who can shift the ball quickly in that midfield three uh, with England and Spurs should be using him in exactly the same way but also and this is a player who's come through the system at Spurs yeah, yes. he's a product of yeah. their academy yeah. he loves the club he doesn't want to leave but He's also a wise guy. I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, Don, but he's really engaging, very, um, very good to speak to an intelligent boy who will know he knows how football works. And, you know, the suggestions I've had is that when you're not in favor with Jose Mourinho, you don't get a huge amount of feedback as to why you're not playing. And I think, you know, that there comes a point where you've got to look after your own career. If there is concrete interest at, at the right price from elsewhere, then somebody like Winks would consider it. But I'm not sure we're at that stage yet. Now, David, you know, uh, early on in this podcast, we spoke about your sartorial elegance and how since joining The Athletic and going to lots more dinners and celebrity events, you've had to up your game. I think the word's inelegance. No, 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 no. Well, well, there's even more. There's even more opportunity for you to increase your elegance, <laughs> ah. let me tell you. Because this athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, all you've got to do is go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz, tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. Have you done this yet, Dom? Um, no, as is, as is obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did this earlier and um, it, it's, well, I don't know what you're laughing at. It's, it's, a very, it's, it's a very fine line between being honest about what your size is and what you hope your size is. And I, you, get, you get offered body shapes to look at and I think, well, I'd like to be that one, but I'm probably that one. Anyhow, once you've filled in your uh, survey and your style quiz, a personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing each handpicked, especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names, up-and-coming designers and exclusive brands that you won't find anywhere else. You try on everything at home, style it with other items in your wardrobe. You see, this is where your current fashion comes into play, David. For your stylist time, you simply pay a charge of 10 quid, but that's deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. And you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways. You don't need a subscription to sign up. So Stitch Fix basically allows you to save time. They do the shopping for you. Discover new stylists because... You're always on the lookout for a new designer, David, and always. enjoy to always and enjoy top styling tips. Our experts give you ideas on how to wear the items they pick out for you. So, to get started today with Stitch Fix and support our podcast, all you have to do is go to stitchfix.co.uk/athletic right now. And I'm going to spell Stitch Fix for you: S T I T C H F I X dot co dot uk slash athletic. Uh, now let's go back to the transfers. You gave us a whole load of potential Premier League clubs for Jadon Sancho a few weeks back. You're now going to disappoint one set of fans and take one club off the list. 
Yeah, I don't think a move for Sancho to Liverpool is going to materialise. That could be a club, for all we know, that he would consider. Well, we we do know that he would consider it uh, because we've reported that before. But I don't think Liverpool are going to pursue that one ultimately. He would come at a level of expense that at this point in time, you know, we're talking the summer, Liverpool would be looking to pay. They've also been heavily linked with somebody like Kylian Mbappe, and the same rule applies. I don't think Liverpool, while they've got their attacking options that they have now, will be looking to spend that level of finance on a player who is not guaranteed to come into the starting lineup. And they don't think that that type of player will be willing to accept that anyway. So at this moment in time, despite them having the resource technically, um, and we know that they're looking to make game-changing signings as and when they need them, as they did with um, Alisson, as they did with Virgil van Dijk, and they'll continue to look to do so in the future. At this moment in time, they're looking for for more Minamino-type signings, as I'm told. Players who are hungry, are developing, may have a point to prove, are ready to come in and fight for their place. They understand that they're not necessarily a guaranteed first pick. And so I think that's the way that Liverpool are looking to take things in the immediate term. And that would say that Sancho is not going to be on the agenda for them for now. Because you also have an update. I'll come back to Sancho with Dom in a minute and where he could go. But... So you have an update on Wijnaldum's future as well. Uh, you know, his contract has how long left to run? 18 months? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So so um, if he was to run that down and leave, then that might be a, a big hole that they would need filling and then they go for the superstar. But until then, bring them in and turn them into superstars unless there's a desperate need for someone. Yeah, this is a situation that has both Wijnaldum and Liverpool very relaxed. Um he signed for, was it £25 million from Newcastle in 2016? He's proved incredible value for that. The relationship is fantastic. He plays a key role for them. Um, but he is the only key player at Liverpool who is not now on a long-term contract. Um, and therefore, it presents them with three options. Run that down and leave in the summer of 2021 as a free transfer, which Liverpool would have no problem with, given the value that he has provided to them already. Sign a new deal next summer, which they were or between now and and the end of his contract, which Liverpool would obviously love. Jurgen Klopp, the fans, everyone at the club would. Or they could sell him. And the most obvious time to do that would be next summer. I'm told that would take something extraordinary to tempt Liverpool to do so because he's such an important player to them at the moment. They would rather lose him on a free or obviously sign a new deal. But it is a possibility, literally speaking, if an enormous offer arrives. I've been told that it's a lifestyle and career decision that Wijnaldum needs to make and there's plenty of interest in him from Italy and Spain so it's certainly one to watch okay back to Jadon Sancho Chelsea have been heavily linked with him Dom and he makes perfect sense for what Chelsea would want in the summer um if you look at their their wide options at the moment Cullen Hudson-Odoi just coming into a bit of form we showed at the weekend Pulisic has had a, a decent start to his his Chelsea career William and Pedro both out of contract at the moment come the summer William may sign another year um, but you know potentially you, you're looking at two players that might be leaving so so come the summer there would be an opportunity there and Sancho would just be perfect for Chelsea and for Lampard he would fit the bill he's a South London boy he's coming back 
home. Uh, he would be a key player for Chelsea um, going forward. On Sancho, we reported a few weeks ago that he was facing the, the following options in no particular order. Real Madrid and Barcelona in Spain, then in England, Liverpool and Manchester United. Manchester City had been asked to be kept abreast of uh, developments. And at that point, there was no uh, contact from Chelsea. Um, I think there there is a knowledge from Sancho's camp that Chelsea would be interested in him, but they've made no sort of concrete advances at this stage, no suggestions of offers or anything like that. He won't be moving in January. He'll be making a move in the summer. And that leaves plenty of time if Chelsea's interest was to materialise and develop, even if it hasn't at this, this point in time. You mentioned some of the needs for Chelsea, Dom. Just because their transfer ban has been lifted, are they not going to panic, but are they going to go full in in this window or will they take their time? I think they'll be sensible about it. That that has been generally the policy of... I mean, there was a period where they went one in, one out, mm. I mean, at Chelsea in recent times. But they have... They've actually done very well in the market in sales of, of late. I mean, you think of 58 million for Morata. They, they did very well on Diego Costa's sale to Atletico Madrid as well. Um, they spent heavily on Kepa um, to replace Courtois. Again, fee coming in. They spend over, amortises over his contract. That's not too much per year. I think they've got... 150 million plus that they could potentially spend. I and mean, we haven't seen Chelsea spend 100 million pounds on a player. I don't think it's inconceivable that that, that happens come the summer on Jaden Sancho. I think that would be a, the type of signing that would really establish or make the world realise that they're back. We are going to talk a little bit about VAR, but but hopefully it won't be too long. And there are lots of questions to put to David and Dom uh, at the end. Um, your column again this week on the Athletic, David. Uh, stating that the Premier League are annoyed that they are kind of being blamed for how this has been implemented in this country. Yeah, and again, with so many of these things, it, it sort of depends on who you speak to. But on that specific point, yeah, the Premier League feel that they've got a bit of an unfair battering over this. Remember that it was the Premier League clubs who voted to bring uh, VAR in from the start of this season, then it's the role of IFAB to regulate the rules and protocols over VAR. And so the Premier League view their role as simply implementing the wishes of others. Every time there's a controversial incident, everybody seems to round on the Premier League and the VAR system as implemented in Stockley Park. So there's a bit of frustration on that front. It sounds like some of the referees seem to be somewhat relieved that it's not them getting the battering and the abuse that they were receiving uh, for so many years. And the focus of attention seems to be on VAR and the technology, which I think we'd all agree is better if anyone should be battered than human beings. It's a bit of a tricky situation at the moment because the Premier League is at the extent of what it can do. Hawkeye, the technology company that it employs to to provide the um, pr- provide the monitoring of it all are at the extent of what they're able to do, and so if any changes are to be made now, it would have to come from IFAB, who meet for their AGM at the end of February. Any changes that they want brought in won't be able to be applied until next season for the integrity of the competition this season. The long and short of it is that VAR for the rest of this season is here to stay and in its current form and that 
despite all of the external noise and the public and media and pundit and even player consternation, the clubs and their executives are actually continuing with this system um, without any significant changes to it. I think, Dom, uh, and I'm not asking you to either side with David or side with me on this, uh, but I think it boils down to two things. One, the the imp- the offside law needs looking at now in a, te- in a televisual and VAR age, and that is nothing to do with the Premier League. Yeah. The flip side of where the Premier League has to take responsibility, or the PGMOL, is of the use of the pitch side monitor, um, which is used more in other countries and was certainly used more in the World Cup and uh, the Women's World Cup as well. Um, and there seems a reluctance to use that here, although you were at an FA Cup game over the weekend where Michael Oliver did use a pitch side monitor. And we are wondering whether there's some kind of conspiracy theory there that it happened in the FA Cup. Yeah, or, or whether Michael Oliver went went rogue and decided to to, mm. to go and have a look himself. I I, I mean, we'd, it would be nice to know from Michael Oliver whether he'd maybe caught a glimpse of the clash between Huddleston and Milovievich, but hadn't seen the headbutt, the alleged headbutt, um, and therefore wanted to 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 go and have a look at it on on the pitch side monitor just so that he got it clear in his own head. Well, um, it wouldn't it be nice if we to to know that via him or absolutely. being able to hear the communications, which has been loads on Twitter in the last couple of weeks of the Australian League, yeah. and you've heard referees come out and explain two or three decisions, you've heard the communication, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm I not going down agree. there, it happens in other sports, because everybody says that, but it does. You're absolutely right, and, and it all boils down to communication. I, I, I was I was sitting in the stands yesterday, as opposed to the press box um, at Sellers Park, and personally, I didn't have a, I thought actually, the, the fact that it was going to VAR was relayed on the big screen, we all knew that, it was announced on the stadium, and it was then very obvious when he ran over to the side to have a look at the the monitor. So, although weirdly there was some dissent from, I think it was a Derby fans who were closest by, they seemed to be frustrated that Oliver was taking his time to go and have a look. When actually it ultimately benefited their team that that he checked the incident and the player was sent off. Talking to one Premier League chairman um, earlier this season, he was saying that that actually this will benefit smaller clubs. Uh, they will, you know, they, they they may get decisions at, at big clubs, grounds that they wouldn't have got in the past, and and that centres largely upon offsides and, and penalties. And it's important to remember that the use of the pitch side monitor will only be for incidents like unseen hmm. uh, challenges or whatever, not for offside, yeah. which many people seem to think it, it would benefit. This is a factual call on offside mm-hmm. that. The clubs wanted bought in. The technology from Hawkeye was approved. And I think we're getting, we're all getting really frustrated at the sort of really controversial minor infringements. But that is what the, the line had to be drawn somewhere. So there was some annoyance within the Premier League because the IFAB. Uh, Secretary General came out last week and said, or some some quotes were attributed to him suggesting that offside should be clear and obvious. Well, the IFAB guidance has always been that offside is a factual decision. It's not subjective. It's either offside or it's not, even if it's by a fraction. 
So here are the questions that came in this week. Interestingly, I tweeted out asking for questions, which meant we got a much more balanced response <laughs> than David tweeting out and getting 5,000 questions all about Arsenal. There is an Arsenal one to come in a little while, but let's start with Jack Welland. Been a lot of rumours regarding the striker situation at Chelsea. Currently linked with Moussa Dembele. Yay, there's a transfer window favourite. Uh, Gabriel Barbosa, <laughs> who's at Flamengo, of course, and even Edison Cavani this morning. Uh, any firm news on this? You go first, Dom. Oh, I, I'm unaware that, that they've put bids in for people. Timo Werner was the other one that's been mentioned, but he's, oh, top he's, of the a, he's a tra- he's a transfer window regular. Absolutely, as well. and top of the league at Red Bull Leipzig as well. So I mean, it's un- unlikely to to come in January. That they Musa Dembele was of all of those names. Musa Dembele was the one that I looked at and thought, well, there's a, there's a logic for going for him and Leon having a dreadful season as well. Albeit they're still in the Champions League, that they could target him. He's he's. He has experience of English football, um, you know, fingers crossed that that would stand him in good stead and he could hit the ground running at Chelsea and he would be a player for the future as well. And and whether Chelsea get somebody in up front, that will determine what happens with Olivier Giroud. There's been contact to Giroud from loads of clubs. Although, interestingly, I think it was recently as yesterday when there were a lot of reports around Newcastle being in for him and quite possibly they've made contact with Chelsea. Giroud's camp knew nothing about uh, interest from Newcastle. So... Giroud is somebody that could well be leaving, but it depends on uh, the potential incomings in that area, as Dom explains. Giroud is an interesting one. I, I did an interview with him last season, and he made it very clear in that that he would not join a club that is not competing for honours. So we're in a situation now where if he wants to play for France in, in the summer, he needs to have a, a massive climb down on that personal policy. The other one for Newcastle, who I, I still think they will be very interested in this window, is Jared Bowen at Hull, yeah. who, who uh, Steve Bruce worked, obviously worked under when he was uh, the whole manager who was scoring a lot of goals in the championship. Mike says, why do so many clubs seem to move at a glacial pace in January? Surely most could get deals ready for January the 1st in the preceding months. It's a good point, David. There are a lot of clubs who it does feel like, or give the public impression, certainly, the calendar ticks over to the 1st of January and they suddenly think, oh, God, we can buy and sell players. I just think it goes back to the point we mentioned at the start of this pod. January is just an undesirable month to do business. They realise the opportunity is there, and that's what tantalises them to do something to, um, I don't know, push on for a Champions League place or a a title or for for a trophy, to qualify for Europe, to avoid relegation, to push for promotion to the Premier League. I just think despite them getting ready for this window, it's a bit of a rotten time to do business. None of the executives like it, and they all want to gear their business towards summer, and therefore it goes at a snail's pace. There's a lot of industry. Decision. There's a lot of conflict of opinions within the decision-making hierarchies at these clubs. And as per the summer, they're trying to cut a deal on the last couple of days to suit themselves best financially. One thing we'll see a lot of again this January is loans because the fees being demanded for the decent players are just too high. But there's also the impression, Dom, that clubs suddenly stumble over a player because they've had a good couple of months. David's column talks about Todd Cantwell at Norwich, suddenly interested in a few clubs. And you kind of think in this era of scouting networks and analytics and massive recruitment departments that he can't just have come onto Premier League clubs' radars over the last 
two months. I, I completely agree. And and, and well, the strange thing about Todd Cand- Cantwell's case is that he's almost surprised Norwich as well because I mean they didn't see him as a first choice regular um, come the, last summer. I mean he, he wasn't that. I didn't think he played that often no. in the in the championship. So um, he has progressed rapidly and surprisingly. But you, you're right in the, in the in the days where the, the elite clubs certainly their recruitment departments are all encompassing. They're they're, they're all over the the world. Club players should not be emerging un, unnoticed almost overnight. Um, they should they should they should know long term planning, and that that's that's the key. The summer recruitment that that shows it reflects long term planning, a long term vision. The winter winter window not so much. But we don't know if Campwell has suddenly just come onto the club's radars. Uh, so my information is that there's there's interest in him for a summer transfer from again in no particular order Liverpool. Tottenham, Manchester United and Manchester City. Now, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know how long that interest has has been formulating. Um, it could have been behind the scenes for, for quite a while and we weren't privy to the numbers and he hadn't exploded onto the scene. Or it can be that they are adapting to um, circumstances and that they're going to use the cu- the coming months to to assess, to negotiate, to see what happens with Norwich's Premier League status. Uh, they may not end up pursuing it, but I, I don't think it's quite as dramatic perhaps as we think it might be. Manchester United have to go somewhere they to fit Campwell, Winks, Madison and Grealish all into the same midfield. Anyhow, uh, on to my, my cynicism knows no bounds. Uh, let's go on to, uh, here is your Arsenal question from Dowsett. Any news on outgoings? Yes, um, Arsenal uh, I'm told are looking to shift up to 12 players on loan and or permanently. Um, and so, of course, the majority of those will be young players uh, who need to get some game time. So we know that Eddie Nketiah will go out on loan again, having been recalled from Leeds. Um, his decision should be made uh, on Tuesday, the day of this podcast going out. And uh, we can reveal that the three clubs that Arsenal have been speaking to about uh, Nketiah are Bristol City, who would very disappointed to miss out on him when he went to Leeds and their interest remains and it's a very credible option. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Nottingham Forest. So they're the three options that Arsenal and Nketiah's people have been speaking to and it seems he needs to decide between one of those. That said, there has been tons of interest in him from various clubs, including Brentford, for example, but they've got sufficient firepower already. They would love to sign Nketiah, but he would be um, reduced to a sort of bit part role coming off the bench. And he's already done that at Leeds. And with game time, such a priority for Arsenal and for Nketiah. A club like Brentford is now not an option. So it's come down to those three, is my understanding. Uh, Bristol City, Sheffield Wednesday and Nottingham Forest in no particular order. And we should have a decision from Nketiah himself imminently. Elsewhere, you'll likely see a loan for um, Emil Smith-Rowe, depending on his fitness and finding the right option. I think those are the two players that clubs have come in and presented for. Um, you, we've heard and read a lot about how clubs who want to loan top prospects from top Premier League clubs these days have to do presentations. Mm-hmm. And I think a number of clubs have done so for Eddie Nketiah and for Emil Smith-Rowe at Arsenal. I think Smith-Rowe this time will remain in England if he goes out. Um 
previously he went over to Germany in an unsuccessful loan spell this time last year. Um, I'm not sure on any permanence. I'm not sure on any incomings at Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, it, it could be quite a busy time for, for outgoings of, of more peripheral players. It feels like the changes are, are moving at a pace at the Emirates. Yeah, well, Mikel Arteta's been in for a couple of weeks now, and there are some little things you're hearing about that um, that reflect positively on on the new regime. Um, there was one player I, I heard about who. Um, who was explaining how hard training is, not just the demands on the players that Arteta is putting on them for matches, but training is said to be absolutely exhausting uh, to to the extent that um, uh, he was due to have somebody come round to his house on, on a day off and, and he said to them, no, I need to lie in today. And that was just from training because <laughs> they're knackered. I think uh, Arteta gave them a couple of days off on after the Man United match. So I think that was Thursday and Friday. Um, but training has been very intense. In, incredibly tactical is the the word that's coming out. So you saw, for example, Socrates doing it for the first time um, in what I can remember a long time, really dribbling the ball out of defence because Arteta is telling them, do not release the ball until an opponent is committed. It's a small thing, but it's something perhaps slightly different to what was being done before. So wait for the opponent to engage and commit themselves and then release the ball or, or move forward with it until that moment arrives. They've been doing, um, they've had a meeting before and after every training session that are said to be pretty long and detailed analysis, a lot of video analysis. Um, and so, yeah, it's just the small tweaks at the moment that seem to be uh, improving things around Arsenal in the immediate term. Uh, great stuff, uh, David. Um, when we had the VAR chat, what were you doodling there? Who's that a picture oh, of? Sorry. That's Michael Oliver. He's uh, consulting the uh, <laughs> consulting the screen. Excellent. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll take a picture of that and tweet that and tweet that out tomorrow. Uh, right. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Athletic to read in full. Great articles from uh, David and Dom, and you can put some of your sketches on the Athletic. That uh, uh, wouldn't sell very many. <laughs> uh, by listening to us, you can get a forty percent discount on subscription by going to the Athletic com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. All our podcasts are completely free and with fresh insight from our writers and special guests, including the Transfer Daily. So that launches this week. It will be presented on rotation by Jackie Oatley, Caroline Barker and Adam Leventhal, who will bring you fresh lines and also build more on some of the stories that David and our other writers have brought to us today. That is it. We'll be back next week with even more. Thanks very much for listening.